Go ahead and open up God's Word to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be opening up our confession of faith to chapter 10. We'll start with reading the first two paragraphs of chapter 10 in the confession. And then we'll read Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. So paragraph 1 of chapter 10 of effectual calling. Those whom God hath predestinated unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving to them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. And then paragraph two, this effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, nor from any power or agency in the creature, being wholly passive therein, being dead in sins and trespasses, until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it and that by no less power than that which is raised up Christ from the dead. And then Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 reads thus. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our holy, most gracious, and righteous Father. We are most thankful for this best of all days that we have been so privileged to enter into and to join together with other saints of God in this sacred assembly, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And to that end, Father, we pray that everything that we need as your people, by the power of the Spirit, through the mediation of Christ our Lord, to... Keep this day holy and to worship you in that way that is wholly pleasing unto you, Lord. We trust in you for those graces that we need to meet that very righteous goal. And Father, we thank you for the ordinary means of grace that you have provided for us that do indeed help us to so worship you. 
in spirit and truth. And we thank you, Father, for the means of grace that is the preaching and teaching of your word. We ask now as we open your scriptures, as we seek to understand this great truth that is called effectual calling, that the Holy Spirit will accompany this teaching with great power, that we will have the ears to hear it, that our hearts will be opened by the Spirit of God to receive the truth of God concerning these holy things. Father, to this end, we pray for the sake of Christ our Lord in his name. Amen and amen. Well, as we return this morning to our present series in the Second London Baptist Confession, we have just started looking at chapter 10 on effectual calling. Last week, the focus centered on the first two paragraphs where the doctrine is defined and the source of this calling is specified in the words of God's free and special grace alone. It is highly significant, as James Renahan points out, that the second paragraph is addressing two theological problems which were very contemporary to the Reformed churches in the 17th century. These two problems were semi-Pelagianism and the Roman Catholic doctrine of congruent merit. Both semi-Pelagianism and congruent merit say roughly the same thing, that God responds to the initial efforts of humans who seek after salvation by granting them the grace of salvation. In modern evangelistic jargon, it's what Billy Graham always said at the close of his crusades when he gave the invitation for sinners to come forward and decide for Christ. Graham always said, if you take the first step, God will do the rest. Well, all Billy Graham was espousing in that very simple statement was the semi-Pelagian concept of conversion. And such a concept about conversion naturally leads every sinner to believe that salvation is determined by what they do rather than what God does. But to such a belief and idea like this, the Second London Confession gives us a full chapter on what is tagged as effectual calling. The reason for such special attention given to this doctrine is because this is in fact what the Bible teaches despite how popular and appealing semi-Pelagianism and congruent merit may be to so many in the church from both the past to the present day. As Jonah 2 and verse 9 says, salvation is of the Lord. And this is from the beginning to the end. So when it comes to how a sinner is called to Christ, which translates into a real conversion of faith in Christ, all the credit goes to God and none to man. Now, for our study this morning on effectual calling, I want us to consider this doctrine from three different perspectives with paragraphs 1 and 2 in chapter 10 standing as our backdrop to this teaching. Our primary biblical text we will work from and by which we will branch out to other biblical passages is the aforementioned Romans chapter 8, 29, and 30. But with our central focus on just one clause in verse 30, where we're told that those whom God predestined, he also called. Well, to begin with then, let's examine first the difference between the universal call and the effectual call to salvation. 
If we read the Bible carefully, it's easy to pick up on the fact that there are two different calls that are issued forth in salvation. The first type of calling we can describe as universal. It also goes by the names of outward and general. This calling is the open, free, and indiscriminate invitation to all people without exception to believe on Christ and repent of their sin. It is this calling which the church in every age has brought forth to a lost and dying world in the work of evangelism and missions. We see examples of this, for instance, in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus invites everyone to come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Matthew 16, 24, our Lord says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In John 7, 37, again, we hear the universal invitation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And finally, in John 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In each of these passages, we see a general, universal call of Christ to everyone to come to him and be saved. Furthermore, when Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission which has four different versions in the New Testament, we see Christ laying stress on the imperative to take the gospel into all the world, which implies a universal call to salvation. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations. In Mark 16, verse 15, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Luke 24, 47, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all all nations. And finally, in Acts 1 and verse 8, we read Jesus commissioning his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The point of all these passages is simply to show that when the gospel is preached, there is always an outward general call to all sinners everywhere to believe on Christ and be saved. And what we must understand about this universal call is that God is serious about offering Christ to all men. Moreover, God is earnest and sincere in this call. How could he be otherwise? There is no duplicity or hypocrisy in God. The universal gospel invitation is a true and genuine offer to all men everywhere to trust in Christ and repent of their sins. But despite the sincerity and seriousness of this call extended to all people, the universal outward gospel call will be and always is resisted. This is important. The universal call to salvation will bring no one to salvation. No one. Why is that? Because men by nature are dead in sin and enslaved by the devil to do his will. Furthermore, the gospel makes no sense to sinners. So the Bible tells us that sinners think it to be foolish. But most importantly, most importantly, their will to choose is enslaved to their sinful nature whereby they do not have a single affection, inclination, or motivation to come to Christ and be saved. So when they hear the gospel... They rise up in rebellion against it and deny its truthfulness because of their sinful, natural unbelief. Therefore, no matter 
how strong, how loud, how clear, how persuasive we may be in calling sinners to salvation. The true effectiveness of the universal call has as much power in it as our calling the dead to rise out of the graves. To say this another way, there is no power to save sinners in the proclamation of the gospel alone. In other words, mere words, despite their infallibility as truth, cannot bring sinners savingly to Christ. As B.B. Warfield once put it, if the gospel is to be committed to the dead wills of sinful men and there is nothing above and beyond who can be saved. If I am to be changed, something must lay hold of me and change me. Okay? Well, it's at this point that we now come to see the necessity for the effectual call of God to save us. Think about this. If we're to be brought to salvation, then there must be another kind of call which comes to us combined with the universal call to believe on Christ and be saved. And this second kind of call is God's sovereign saving power effecting in the sinner he has chosen to save the needed grace to be brought from death to life, from darkness to light. The only reason any of us are Christians is because God called us to be his people through the, through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Consider the observations of Martin Lloyd-Jones concerning this effectual call. Lloyd-Jones said, If this call were not effectual, no one would believe the gospel. The startling fact is that there is a single Christian in the whole world. Did you hear that? The startling fact is that there is a single Christian in the whole world. The amazing thing is not that most people do not believe. What is astounding is that anyone believes. For we are all born natural men at enmity against God regarding all concerning him as foolishness, dead in trespasses and sins. What God has predestined for these people whom he has foreknown would never come to pass in a single instance were it not that God in his infinite love and mercy quickened us and awakened us by his spirit through his effectual calling. The Holy Spirit operates upon our souls and puts in a new principle of life, a new disposition. He changes us from being natural to being spiritual. And as the result of this, we begin to see the truth. More than that, we desire the truth. And that which we formerly regarded as offensive nonsense, we now glory in and delight in, and we wish to understand it more and more. So, let me ask you a very important question for application. Should we still preach the gospel and call all sinners to trust in Christ, even though, even though they will only come to Christ if God effectually calls them to come? Well, what do you think the answer to that question is? The answer is a thousand times yes. Yes. We go, we preach the gospel to all people everywhere. This is our great commission. This is our great responsibility. And indeed, it is also our great privilege. But as we go and as we preach, we go with this confidence as put in the words of the Apostle Paul 
in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. What is Paul talking about? He's reminding the Corinthian believers how they became Christians. He's affirming his part in the preaching of the gospel, not to mention Apollos, but his emphasis is on the fact that it was God and God alone who brought them to saving conversion. But the specific act of God which brought these Corinthians to salvation was God's effectual call. And saying this leads us naturally to the next perspective that we're going to consider now in this study. And that is the author. The author of this effectual call to salvation. Now, now right from the start of this point, we know who the author is behind the effectual call. The author is, of course, God. So you might ask, well, what's the importance of making this matter a, a specific division in our study? In fact, even last Sunday in Sunday school, Brother Darrell opened this up. He dealt with this, emphasized this. So, so we can say it's a no-brainer that God is the one behind the effectual call. Okay, true enough. But do you know the specific role of each person in the Godhead when this call is made? Do you know the role of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, what they do, each? This is what I want us to consider under this point. In the first place, we must understand that it is God the Father who is the specific agent in effectually calling us to salvation. We see this plainly from our text in Romans 8, 29, and 30. Each of these saving acts Paul is listing are issued forth primarily by God the Father. For instance, in verse 29, we know Paul is referring to the Father because he says that we are to be conformed to the image of His Son. His Son. There is a clear distinction here between the one who foreknows and predestines us and this person called his son. The obvious inference is to God the Father. It is the Father who has foreknown us, who has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. But notice further that Paul continues to describe the work of God the Father in our salvation in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he, that is the Father, also called. Let's consider another passage which makes this same distinction. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of who? His Son. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ our Lord. And then there's another similar passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 8 and 9. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now, the point we should take away from this fact of God the Father having an active personal role in calling us to salvation is that he did not only plan and purpose to save us, but he has an intimate relation in saving his people. This is why Jesus teaches us that those who come to him for salvation are only those, according to John chapter 6, they are only those whom the Father draws, those whom the Father grants to come. So God the Father is not a mere spectator 
to the application of his saving and redemptive purpose for his people. He is involved in our coming to Christ and being brought to glory every step of the way. It is God the Father, therefore, who initiates this effectual call and carries it through to our eventual reception. In the second place, God the Son also has an active role in calling us effectually to salvation. The place Jesus takes in the saving call is being the very voice we hear when the gospel is preached. Consider what Christ said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear what? My voice and they follow me. Now here's a question. Where do you suppose the sheep hear the voice of their saving shepherd? Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, those whom God has chosen to save will hear the voice of their Savior in the gospel message calling them to come and be saved. The Apostle Paul argues for this truth in Romans chapter 10, 14 through 17. Paul writes this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never what? Heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now this is an amazing passage. Think about what it's teaching in relation to the effectual call. Okay. When the gospel is preached, everyone hears it with their physical ears. But only some effectually hear the word of Christ and believe unto salvation. So when God the Father called you to salvation, it was the voice of God the Son you heard in your soul saying, Come and follow me. And by God's sovereign power, you followed Christ. Finally, in the effectual call of God, saving his elect, what is the role of God the Holy Spirit? Well, to explain the involvement of the Holy Spirit in calling us to salvation, listen to the words of Joel Beakey as he explains what the Holy Spirit actually does. The Spirit is involved in drawing men to Christ through the Word. When the Word is proclaimed, the Spirit moves it from the ear to the soul so that the gospel enlightens the mind, enabling the sinner to understand, believe, and surrender to spiritual truth. The Spirit irresistibly calls and regenerates the sinner, creating in him a new heart or nature so that he exercises faith in Christ, repents of sin, and embraces the gospel. This inward call is also effectual. Commenting further on the Spirit's role in the effectual call, Consider John Calvin's very helpful observation. Calvin wrote this, There are two ministers preaching in every sermon. The external minister, the ordained servant of God, who brings the word of God to the ear, and the internal minister, the Holy Spirit, who moves the word of God to the soul, convicting it, raising it to new life, and granting it to embrace Christ by faith. So then, the role of the Holy Spirit in the effectual call is essentially making what the Father has initiated 
in the salvation of his people and what Jesus has accomplished to redeem them by his life and death to be actually and experientially applied to their lives. The Holy Spirit brings the call of the Father and the Son into its transforming work. This is what Jesus referred to as being born of the Spirit. And what Paul described as the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Thus when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit call forth their elect out of the world, this divine call will bring the desired and intended purpose for which it has been made, which is the salvation of God's people. Hence, it is an effectual call. But as our last point of study concerning this effectual call of God to salvation, I want us to to consider now the fruit and characteristics of this effectual call. To begin with, we can certainly deduce from Scripture that God's effectual call of His people is an invincible and immutable call. Looking back again in our main text in Romans 8 and verse 30, we see that those whom God has predestined, He calls, and those He calls, He justifies, and those He justifies, He glorifies. The point is, nothing in all the world can obstruct or thwart or undo the salvation God has purpose for those he has called to be saved. They will be saved. And nothing can stop them from being saved. And for that matter, nothing can prevent them from persevering all the way to glory. This call is therefore invincible. It is invincible. But this call is also immutable. In other words, nothing and no one can reverse this call of God for the salvation of his people. As Paul tells us in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Once God has called us into his salvation through Christ, he will never go back on what he has promised to do. He has predestined us to glory and thus His calling will never be reversed. Consider further that this effectual call is rooted in God's eternal purpose and grace. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9 spells this out. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, when? Before the ages began. So from eternity, before the world was ever created, God determined to save us and call us to himself. This was his sovereign purpose. Moreover, it was a purpose determined by God, irrespective and independent of anything we could have done. It was an act of sovereign grace. Thus, when God called us, he did so because this was his sovereign, gracious choice, and it had nothing to do with who we were or what we could accomplish. In addition to this, God's effectual call was made solely in respect to Jesus Christ. Again, we go back to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. And then look at this, in Christ Jesus 
before the ages began. Now here we need to understand. There is no detail or fragment that makes up our salvation which is apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. So in God's call to save us, it was a call made in Christ. And therefore, secured by who he is for us and, and what he has accomplished to save us. So who he is and what he's done. Who he is and what he's done. The effectual call was made solely in respect to Jesus Christ. And following this truth, we see also that God's effectual call brings us into fellowship and union with Jesus Christ. No passage makes this plainer than 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, already been quoted this morning. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So when God calls us, we are immediately, immediately ushered into the joy and grace of the fellowship of Christ. We are united to Christ in spiritual union with him by the virtue of this effectual call. Moreover, by consequence of this effectual call, we are translated out of darkness into God's marvelous light. This is the truth of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, that you proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We no longer live in darkness, which represents our former life in sin and ignorance enslaved to the devil. But now... Now we live in a new world. We're part of a new kingdom. We live in God's marvelous light. And this represents a life of holiness and truth. And regarding holiness, this effectual call is most certainly a call to a holy life. It is a call to a holy life. 1 Peter 1.15 says it very clearly. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Finally, we notice that God's effectual call creates for us a new identity. A new identity. In Romans chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we are now called saints. And in 1 John chapter 3, 1 and 2, we are now called the children of God. Needless to say... God's effectual call brings a great many redeeming dynamics into the experience of God's people. This is truly the key act of God that connects what he planned and purposed from eternity to be carried out in time. Without God calling us, there is no salvation experience. None whatsoever. Well, drawing the study to a close... Let me leave you with three major lessons for the furtherance of our understanding and sanctification regarding the effectual call of God. Lesson number one, we must make sure that we ourselves have been called by God. We must make sure that we ourselves have been called by God. This is, this is in fact the imperative of 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10. Listen to this. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. 
That's an imperative. That's a command. Has God called us to salvation? Have we been effectually called? God's word commands us to make certain, make certain of these things. And the reason why we should is obvious. Because the scripture tells us there are many who think they're called, but in fact they're not. They may have answered mama's call, the preacher's call, or the altar call, but they've not been called by God to salvation. So it is mandatory that we make certain that we have been called by God. Well, how do you know? How do you know if God has effectually called you? Well, here, here are some tests, okay? You trust only in Jesus Christ to save you and make you right with God. You love holiness and hate sin. You love God's word and you want to obey it all your life. You desire to make Christ known to others and see sinners saved. And you love God's family, the church, and make every effort to be in service and fellowship with the church. These are just a handful of the definitive biblical marks that make up someone who has been truly called by God to salvation. So, lesson number one, we must make sure that we ourselves have been called by God. Lesson number two, we must not let the effectual call lessen the importance of the universal call. Understand this. God only effectually calls his elect by the universal call of the gospel going forth in all the world. We just, read, we just read that in Romans chapter 10, 13 through 17. James Montgomery Boyce, he made the same point when he said this. If God effectively through the, calls effectively through the general call, it is as necessary that there be a general call if some are to be saved as it is that there be a specific and effectual call. Our call does not regenerate. God alone is the author of the new birth. All must be born from above. Nevertheless, the way God does that is through the sowing of the seed of his word which is entrusted to us. So, evangelism matters. Evangelism matters. We're not hyper-Calvinists. We are not that. You see, in a church like this, I don't see anyone going down the slippery slope of Arminianism, or even semi-Pelagianism. Oh, no. None of us are attracted to that. But we can go down the slippery slope and not even know we're heading down that slippery slope of what is called hyper-Calvinism. And hyper-Calvinism says, because God has predestined, because God has chosen who will be saved. And they, in fact, will be saved because God has predestined them to salvation. Well, then, what's the use 
What's the necessity? Why should we tell any sinners about Christ in the gospel? Evangelism is of no use. Why even do it? Well, the first reason is because Jesus commands it. That's the first reason. Christ commands us to take the gospel to others. So that's the first and great reason. And you know, frankly, that's really, that's sufficient. I mean, it's sufficient to say, well, Jesus commands it. Okay, well, enough said. But there is something more that can be said, though. Even though his, his command is sufficient, but let, let, me, let me just add, though, to something that is, is sufficient. God has ordained evangelism as his means by which and through which he calls his elect to himself. He's ordained evangelism. He's ordained the preaching of the gospel to call out of darkness into his marvelous light those whom he has in fact chosen before the foundation of the world. And look at our Lord Jesus. Okay, let's look at the perfect example here. Did Jesus preach and proclaim the gospel that, of course, is all about him? Did he? Yes. Did he call sinners to himself? Yes. Even though he said to these sinners, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. I mean, he said that. But yet, the same Savior who declared that also said, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. The general call is necessary. It's necessary because God has ordained it to be necessary. And by the way, let me also add to that your intercession for sinners to be saved is also just as necessary. Because right after the Apostle Paul, right after he finished writing what we call Romans 9, you know, which just is just the raw sovereignty of holy God and salvation. But then on the heels of that chapter, Romans 10 opens up with this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, them being Israel, them being ethnic Jews, is that they may be saved. He writes that on the heels of Romans 9, 18 as, as an example. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You see, the hyper-Calvinists will say, well, see, the Bible says that God has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. So what's the use in evangelism then? In fact, they'll even say, why even pray? Why even pray for God to save anybody? Well, you know, the problem with hyper-Calvinists is that they're... <laughs> They're trying to do what Arminians do. 
they're trying to take the mystery out of the truth of salvation. Armenians, they can't reconcile the sovereignty of God with the responsibility of man. And hyper-Calvinists can't reconcile the same thing. So what do they do? Well, one party denies one truth and rejects the other. The other party denies another truth and rejects the other. And they're both wrong. They're both wrong. The hyper-Calvinist says, I'll only believe Romans chapter 9. And the Armenian says, I'll only believe Romans chapter 10. But the evangelical reformed believer says, I'll take Romans 9 and 10 together. I will believe both, even though I don't have all the answers. Well, that's okay if you don't have all the answers. Do we have all the answers to the Trinity? Uh, No. But we believe and we affirm that the eternal God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three distinct persons who are the one God. Can you figure that out? No, you can't. But you believe it and you affirm it because the Bible reveals it, even though we don't have all the answers. It's okay. God said it. That settles it. And God has not called us to uh, figure it all out before you believe it. No. The hyper-Calvinist makes that mistake. The Arminian makes that mistake. We will not make that mistake by the grace of God. We will strive to say, you know what? I'm going to take all the Bible, every bit of it, the whole counsel, the whole counsel of God. Okay, last lesson. The effectual call reminds us that even at the point of application, salvation is just as much God's work as it is from the beginning to its consummation. So, we cannot credit our conversion to Christ to a human decision or choice we made. We cannot. The faith and repentance which we exercise in salvation are God's gifts of grace that he effectually works in us. I cannot stress this enough, beloved. Left to ourselves in all our decisions and choices, we would never come to Christ for salvation. Never. We are bound in sin and darkness until God comes and calls us to himself by his omnipotent grace and power that will always, always accomplish its intended purpose to save us. And that, by the way, is the meaning behind the term effectual. Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way. Man revolts against his Savior, but where God determines to save, save he will. And we say, thank God. God for that. Otherwise, none of us would be saved. (laughs) Well, praise the Lord. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, what an amazing 
and mysterious and joyous wonder is your effectual call in saving all sinners from all nations, tribes, and tongues that you had elected from before the foundation of the world. And blessed Father, we thank you this morning that for many of us here today, even we are among that number that you chose from eternity. And we thank you that at the time you appointed, you brought us to Christ. You gave us the faith to believe. You granted us the repentance that we needed. We thank you, Holy Father, for this work that you have brought to pass for the sake of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. And amen.